So the alternative uh, title for this sermon this morning could have been, you just can't make this stuff up. In this morning's story, we have actions that took place over two and a half thousand years ago in a culture that's very different than ours on the other side of the globe. And yet some of the things that we see our own political leadership doing these days seem like they were taken right from this morning story from Jeremiah. The resemblances are eerily similar at times. Now, in one respect, that can be kind of depressing. <laughs> History repeating itself. It seems like at times our species never learns. On the other hand, in another respect, the similarities between then and now give us at least a chance to learn. We, by the grace of God, are not destined to repeat history. Even though we will see that the political leaders of Jeremiah's time and ours are making similar mistakes, we, as the people of God, do not have to follow along. No matter what our leaders do, we are called to listen to God and to live what we hear. So for the sake of time and keeping interest, I didn't read all of chapter 36 in Jeremiah, but I definitely have to give a summary because as I said, the similarities between our nation and uh, today and Jeremiah uh, are eerily similar. In the part I read, God tells Jeremiah to write a report combining, co combining all of his prophecies. And the dates uh, to which God refers from the first prophecy in a certain king's reign until the time of our particular uh, story this morning, it covers a, a period of about two decades, 20 years of God trying to tell the nation to get things right. God's been trying to get them to set things right for a long time. So Jeremiah dictates all these prophecies to his administrative assistant, basically a guy named Baruch. Once it's all down on paper, Jeremiah tells Baruch to take this report and read it in the temple during a holiday when there will be a lot of people there. We hear this in verse 6. So, Jeremiah says, you go to the house of the Lord on a day of fasting and read to the people from the scroll the words of the Lord that you wrote as I dictated. Read them to all the people of Judah who come in from their towns. Jeremiah can't do it himself because he is under uh, executive privilege invoked by the king. Verse 5, um, Jeremiah called Baruch in, told Baruch, I am restricted. 
I cannot go to the Lord's temple, so you go. So he's, uh, the king has basically invoked executive privilege, and Jeremiah can't share these things. A few months later, the timing is right, and Baruch takes the report and reads it aloud in public, sort of like when the Democrats read the Mueller report into the public record, uh, just so that everybody had a chance, if they wanted to, to hear it. When Baruch does this, one of the king's cabinet members is there. We hear in verses 11 through 13, when Micaiah, son of Gemariah, the son of Shaphan, heard all these words of the Lord from the scroll, he went down to the secretary's room in the royal palace, where all the officials were sitting. Elishama, the secretary, Deliah, son of Shemaiah, Elmathon, son of Echor, Gemariah, son of Shaphan, Zedekiah, son of Hananiah, and all the other officials. The officials then request after, uh, uh, what's his name, Micaiah, after he shares what all he heard from Baruch, the other officials request that Baruch come to a hearing. And they don't have to invoke a subpoena. Uh, he comes willingly. We hear in verses 14 through 15. All the officials sent Jehudiah, son of Nethaniah, the son of Shelemiah, the son of Cushai, to say to Baruch, bring the scroll from which you have read to the people and come. So Baruch went to them with the scroll in hand. They said to him, sit down, please and read it to us. So Baruch read it to them. Their reaction is intriguing. Verse 16. When they heard all these words, they looked at each other in fear and said to Baruch, we must report all these words to the king. They question Baruch about his source. They asked Baruch, tell us, how did you come to write all this? Did Jeremiah dictate this to you? Yes, Baruch replied. He dictated all these words to me, and I wrote them in ink on the scroll. Now, this is a really fascinating reaction. The officials said to Baruch, you and Jeremiah go and hide. Don't let anyone know where you are. We'll find out shortly why they say this. Well, the cabinet then invokes a meeting with the king. After they put the scroll in the room of Elishama, the secretary, they went to the king in the courtyard and reported everything to him. The king sent Yehudi to get the scroll, and Yehudi brought it from the room of Elishama, the secretary, and read it to the king and all the officials standing beside him. Sounds a little like Trump getting the Mueller report. But it gets better. The king then seeks to obstruct justice and tries to make the whole thing go away. Verses 22 and 23. It was the ninth month, and the king was sitting in the winter apartment with a fire burning in the fire pot in front of him. Whenever Yehudi had read three or four columns of the scroll, the king cut them off with a scribe's knife and threw them into the fire pot. 
until the entire scroll was burned in the fire. Even worse, so the, oh, actually, yeah, on top of that, we hear that the king and his department of justice uh, felt no shame about this obstruction. Verses 24 and 25. The king and all his attendants who heard all these words showed no fear, nor did they tear their clothes as a sign of grief for what they were hearing. Even though Elnathan, Deliah, and Gemariah urged the king not to burn the scroll, he would not listen to them. And on top of all that, the administration tries to turn the tables. Verse 26. The, instead, the king commanded Yaramiel, son of the king, Sariah, son of Azrael, and Shelemiah, son of Abdiel, to arrest Baruch, the scribe, and Jeremiah, the prophet. But the Lord had hidden them. So here we have a situation in which the leader of a nation is given a report that he doesn't like. And rather than confront the harsh harsh truth and do the right thing, he tries to make it all go away. And some of his officials knew this is how he would react. That's why they told Baruch to find Jeremiah and get out of town and don't tell anybody where they are. Walter Brueggemann writes about this whole scene. The response of telling Baruch to find Jeremiah and and hide, this response of the princes is enormously important. It indicates, on the one hand, that the princes recognize the scroll to be inherently dangerous and troublesome, and sure to evoke the passionate hostility of the king. They not only know something of the scroll, but they know a great deal about the king. They have witnessed his temper tantrums before. The princes become protectors of this subversive voice that the king cannot tolerate. Brueggemann wrote that in 1998. He's not writing this in response to Trump and what Trump said. In fact, he brings up the Pentagon Papers as a similarity uh, of what might be going on. So just this past Sunday... Just a week ago, Sunday, the New York Times did an article on the increased U.S. cyber attacks on Russian infrastructure. Listen to whether this sounds familiar or not. Two administration officials said they believed Trump had not been briefed in any detail about the steps to place implants, software code that can be used for surveillance or attack, inside the Russian grid. Pentagon and intelligence officials described broad hesitation to go into detail with Trump about operations against Russia for concern over his reaction and the possibility that he might countermand it or discuss it with foreign officials as he did in 2017 when he mentioned a sensitive operation in Syria to the Russian foreign minister. As I said, there's some eerie similarities between these two situations. Much of the current 
leadership of our country, and I will include Christian religious leadership and political leadership, seem either unable or unwilling to follow any sort of moral or ethical code. Many are utterly lacking in humility, integrity, and compassion. And just like King Jehoiakim and the leaders of Judah two and a half thousand years ago. Again, Walter Brueggemann. The king gives no hint of listening to the reading, but makes a great show of contempt for the scroll. The king enacts an early form of document shredding. The king would yield nothing of himself to the claim of the scroll. He shut the scroll out of his life and refused to let it touch him. But God will not be deterred. In this morning's story, God comes back even stronger. Verses 27 and following. After the king burned the scroll containing the words that Baruch had written at Jeremiah's dictation, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Take another scroll and write on it all the words that were there on the first scroll, which Jehoiakim, king of Judah, burned up. Also tell Jehoiakim, king of Judah, this is what the Lord says. You burned that scroll and said, why did you write on it that the king of Babylon would certainly come and destroy this land and cut off both people and animals from it? Therefore, this is what the Lord says about Jehoiakim, king of Judah. He will have no one sit on the throne of David. His body will be thrown out and exposed to the heat by day and the frost by night. I will punish him and his children and his attendants for their wickedness. I will bring on them and those living in Jerusalem and the people of Judah every disaster I pronounced against them because they have not listened. So Jeremiah took another scroll, gave it to the scribe Baruch, and as Jeremiah dictated, Baruch wrote it all, wrote it on it all the words of the scroll that Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burned in the fire, and many similar words were added to them. So God comes back even stronger. Temper Longman um, the third writes about this. It is impossible to extinguish the word of God. It is not as easy as burning it in a fire. The word transcends the medium in which it was written. The problem, particularly for the people of Jeremiah's time, is that the king had outsized influence over the course of the whole country. So even after hearing the report of Jeremiah, the king didn't repent, and then the whole nation suffered the consequences. So what about us? Will we suffer the consequences of our actions or lack of actions as a nation? Like the nations of Jeremiah's time, God has been warning our nation for decades, even centuries, on the need to set things right. Indigenous peoples and people of color have not been treated morally by the white majority. 
Whole communities of those who are vulnerable, who are different, have been exploited and are continuing to be exploited. God wants us to hear these truths and change. That was why he had Jeremiah write this report. We hear it several times. Verses 2 and 3, take a scroll, God says to Jeremiah, and put all the words that I have spoken to you for the last 20 years. Perhaps, this is verse 3, perhaps when the people of Judah hear about every disaster I plan to inflict on them, each of them will turn from their ways, wicked ways, and then I will forgive their wickedness and their sin. In verse 6 through 7, Read all these to the people of Judah who come in from their towns. Perhaps they will bring their petition before the Lord, their, their prayers before the Lord, and each will turn from their wicked ways. For the anger and the wrath pronounced against the people of the Lord are great. And then very, the very last sentence, uh, or very uh, actually not close to the last um, Verse 31, I will punish Jehoiakim and his children. I will bring on them and those living in Jerusalem, all the people of Judah, every disaster I pronounced against them because they have not listened. Because they have not listened. One last comment from Walter Brueggemann. Perhaps. The purpose of the scroll, and he, in his commentary later, makes the same connection of the purpose for the scroll of the Bible in general as a whole. The purpose of the scroll is to move Judah to hear and to turn and so to avoid evil. That is, the scroll isn't designed to give information, nor even to make an argument but it is to authorize, energize, and evoke a transformed life that will avoid and deter the coming evil. It is intended to alter Judah's public life. The word of God is intended precisely to be heard in public places, to impinge upon public policy, and to provoke public transformation. God has given us the Holy Scriptures and the Holy Spirit to guide us into what is good, what is just. And when we listen and we live what we hear, we can overcome even morally bankrupt leadership and set things right. That's what it took to overcome slavery. That's what it took to begin the process of overcoming institutional and systemic racism bigotry, misogyny, and that's what it will take to overcome institutional and systemic poverty. Listening for what God is saying and living what we hear. Now, even on a much smaller scale, this is what is important, listening for God's voice and then living what we hear. Some of you uh, may have seen the article that I posted that explains our little sign out front. 
There's a little black and white sign, white background, black words that says don't give up on one side and, and you are enough on the other side. That showed up out of the blue a couple of weeks ago. Somebody just stuck it in. I'm like, hmm, nobody told me they were going to do this. Message doesn't seem that bad. Well, let's just leave it. And then I said, I, I told a couple of people, I said, we'll leave it unless we find out that it's a part of some weird cult or something, and then we'll, <laughs> then we'll pull it. Well, I finally heard the story. I read about it. Um, a woman named Amy Wolf in Newburgh, Oregon, listened to a teacher tell her that suicides were skyrocketing for youth in their school district and across the country. In their district, six teenagers had died by suicide within one year, and six more tried within a span of two weeks. Her heartbreak led her to do something. She printed 20 signs with these uh, slogans on them. Don't give up. You are worthy of love. She did that two years ago. She put them up in her own town. People were very touched, and the word began to spread. Her husband made her a website. Um, it began to grow. So now there are some of these signs that have been ordered in all 50 states, in 26 different countries, in six different languages. So I'm reading this story, and I can't remember whether, where it was from exactly. It might have been, I think it was the Washington Post. But in this story, it says, a man named Kobe Colby Wallace from Queen Anne neighborhood in Seattle knew of suicides here from teens, and he ordered 15 signs. He said when he heard about what Ms. Wolf was doing, he felt compelled to get involved. And I'm assuming that he is the one that put our sign up. Or she. I think it's a he, though. I think they refer in a pronoun to he in the, in the story. But anyway, another part of this in the article that was written, the original person, Amy Wolf, shared that she had received an anonymous letter from a man from Salem, Oregon. He had suffered depression for seven years, and he was planning suicide. On his way home from picking up pizza, he just had this inkling to drive a different route. And he's driving along, and he sees a sign that says, don't give up. He pulled over to the side of the road, and he wept. And he wept, and then he went home. He told his wife what he was thinking, and he got help. Each person in this story listened to a voice within them and then lived out what they heard. No matter what our leaders do, we are called to listen for God's word in our lives and then live what we hear. When we do, lives do change. Even lives of whole communities can be set right. We do not have to repeat history. Thanks be to God. Amen.